0: if you will, to Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah chapter 6, we'll look today at uh, verses 15 to 19, at the very end of this chapter, Nehemiah six fifteen to 19. Everybody likes a story to turn out right. The hero wins, the right man and the right woman end up together, and they all live happily ever after. Well, in our text today, we come to the happy ending of the wall-building project that's uh, preoccupied uh, the, uh, uh, that's, uh, uh, the, the first chapters of this uh, book. Though this is certainly not the end of the story, the sequel starts next week, and it sometimes is ugly, too. But uh, today we have just a little passage, and uh, let me read it, and then we'll talk about it a bit. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Arah, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Bechariah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobias sent letters to intimidate me. This is a, a, a little tiny passage, and I couldn't figure out whether to tag it on to what went before or what goes ahead. And I couldn't, I couldn't ever figure it out, so I said, well, just think about it by itself for a little while this morning. And it suggests, I think, two truths to us. The first is this. God will accomplish his plans. God will accomplish his plans. Years ago, Jane and I used to have a 72 Volvo. We drove it until they literally hauled it off to the junkyard. It was done. But some years earlier, I had bought a muffler at, uh, happened to be Midas, where I bought the muffler, uh, who at the time advertised a lifetime guarantee for as long as you own the car. Well, those old Volvo's were hard on mufflers. So about once a year, I'd be driving my old Fliver to the Midas shop for its lifetime guaranteed muffler replacement. Now, after about the fifth free muffler, it kind of became a joke. People said to me, they're not going to give you another muffler. And I said, well, they said lifetime, I'm going back. And most amazing, they actually did it. Such is the case with God and his promises. What God says he will do, he does. Even long after everyone else has given up on it, God will accomplish his plans. So in these verses, we're told about the completion of the wall around Jerusalem. God, through his prophets, had spoken of this rebuilding of Zion for hundreds of years. And now on the 27th day of October in 445 B.C., the work was finally completed just 52 days after Nehemiah began the rebuilding. God did what he said he was going to do. Now up front, the task had looked impossible. History was against it. It had been 141 years since those walls were torn down by the Babylonians. It had been almost 100 years since the people had returned to rebuild the city. The temple had been completed for 70 years, a whole lifetime. And those walls were lying in rubble, and they had just become invisible, the new status quo. And as you know, things ignored so long are almost never completed. Even God seemed to have forgotten this part of the promises. Oh, but it only looked that way because God never forgets. He always accomplishes his plan. For many years, this, uh, and for many people, this project seemed foolhardy from the get-go. Remember how they mocked. What, are you going to pray those walls up, they said? <laughs> Even a single fox hopping on that wall would crumble it. Don't you know you can't use those useless bricks anymore? God's plan had many opponents who pointed out all the reasons why it was impossible, even foolish. They assumed it could never succeed. They said, give up or you still have your reputation intact. But as foolish and impossible as it may have seemed to some, as much as people laughed at the ancient words of the prophets, and as the zeal of Nehemiah, still God was not kidding He intended to do what he had said so many years before. He had proclaimed through the prophets his plan to restore Jerusalem. He had laid his plans on Nehemiah's heart. He had called Nehemiah to invest his life in this work. He had opened doors for Nehemiah, uh, providing what he needed from the king. He gave wisdom and perseverance to his faithful people. And through it all, God accomplished what he had said. Now that simple truth that God accomplishes his plans has implications for us. First, there's a challenge for us here. If God is so faithful, why wasn't this work completed 50 years earlier? Well, because no one had ever dared believe God and trust his word against the impossible odds and obey him no matter what the cost. I think that's why. That's not to set aside the sovereignty of God. God could have put the walls up some other way, but God has seen fit to use use human instruments. And so the issue becomes, so what about us? Have we dared to believe God, to trust his word, to do what he says, no matter what the cost, no matter how foolish it might look? You know, we're not completely ignorant of God's plans. We sit here every week. We hear uh, what he says in his word. We know something about his plans for the world, his plans for our church, his plans for our families, his plans for us individually. So here's the challenge. If we know something to be God's will, and if we haven't yet seen it accomplished, perhaps it's because we too have not really believed what God said enough to do it, to step out in faith and obedience, believing he can make it happen. I think it was D.L. Moody who once said, the world has yet to see what God could do with one person fully committed to God's will. The world has yet to see what God could do with one person fully committed to his will. And then Moody added, by God's grace, I will be that man. It's a challenge to us. It's not only a challenge, though, there's comfort for us here. Perhaps you do know something of God's will and you're pursuing it doggedly. The problem is it just seems impossible. It's been this way for a long time, and no one thinks you're doing the right thing. A lot of people think you're a fool. All you have to hold on to is God's promise, what God said. It's best you understand it. Well, here there's encouragement, folks. God's plans will be accomplished. He guarantees it. That promise does not rest on what people think. It does not rest on whether the circumstances are favorable or not. It does not rest on how strong and how smart you are. It only rests on his power and his faithfulness. So be encouraged. Do not be weary in well-doing. God has not forsaken you. One more thing. There's a word of warning for us here. If God really promises to accomplish his will if he really says, I am going to do what I said, folks, any plans to the contrary are truly ill-conceived. It does not matter how right we think we are. It does not matter how much approval we receive from our peers. It does not matter how good things look at this moment. If what we're doing is contrary to God's will... The work will come to nothing. And so the issue for us is, where are you investing your life? For only God's plans will ultimately succeed. That's the first thing we need to learn here. This is the second truth. God accomplishes his work in the midst of his enemies. God accomplishes his work in the midst of his enemies. Now, whenever we plan for something, we, we try our best to enhance our chances of success by controlling the variables and removing every conceivable obstacle to success. For example, if you're going to grow vegetables early in the spring, you don't just stick them out on the ground, probably. You start them in seeds in your windowsill or something where it's nice and warm and predictable, and after you plant them, you, 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 you guard the, the, the young plants against the slugs and the rabbits and the whatever else. And if there's going to be a chance of a frost, you cover them up. And, and you give them some additional nutrients and they form a fertilizer. And you take steps to kill the weeds and to kill the pests. And you do everything possible to give them a chance at success. But God's different. Here's the most startling truth. Since God controls everything, there's nothing that can threaten his success. It's all in his hand. So we see him doing his will right in the middle of the most unlikely, impossible situations, right in the face of his sworn enemies. Now to us, that looks really risky and really uncertain. But God's plan is never uncertain. That's what we see in verses 17 to 19. God accomplishing his work in the midst of his enemies. Here again we find Tobiah. He's been uh, uh, Nehemiah's nemesis all along here. He's the one, remember, that made the comment that even a fox jumping up on the wall would probably make it crumble. It was so poorly built. He's, He's the one that hired Nehemiah's own prophets to prophesy against Nehemiah. And now he's in collusion with the powerful nobles of Jerusalem, working behind the scenes to undermine Nehemiah, even as the wall's being finished. He has contracts with many of them. He's the son-in-law of one of the most influential families, one of the original returnees from Babylon. And he's married into Meshulam's family, one of Nehemiah's key builders. Here's Tobiah, the ultimate networker, the ultimate politician, working all the angles with all of his context behind the scenes uh, uh, to undo Nehemiah. And right now, all of his network is involved in a letter-writing campaign against Nehemiah. Well, this is political pressure cleverly applied. But in that situation, right in Tobiah's face, God brought glorious success accomplishing his work in the midst of, in spite of, his enemies. There are many places in the Bible which indicate that this is how God works. We read in Psalm 110, verse 2, You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Or more familiar to us is uh, Psalm 23. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Or even more impressive, this is how Jesus accomplished our salvation. Jesus Jesus did not come in the world and remove all the wickedness to make it safe to save us. No, Jesus came into the midst of his enemies to accomplish the Father's will for our salvation. As he showed us the Father, he too was mocked and ridiculed, and rejected. Finally, as he was obeying the Father's will, in a great conspiracy between the Roman and Jewish leaders, they crucified him, and surely it looked as though he had been a total failure. But God tends to accomplish his work right in the midst of his enemies. And on the third day, he raised Jesus from the dead, having accomplished the Father's plan to save us. The same that same principle is at work throughout the New Testament. The work of God continues in the face of opposition and ridicule and seeming failure at times. God's Spirit does His work not by destroying His enemies, but bringing them to faith and repentance and making them the servants of God, the children of God. So what difference does that make to us today? Today? Well, it means we ought not be surprised at the trouble. God's plan has never been to get rid of all the trouble so that it's easy. So don't flinch at the ridicule. Don't waver in the face of opposition. That's exactly where God works, accomplishing his will in the face of his enemies. And there's no reason to be afraid. Stand still and see the glory of the Lord at work. There's also another line of application here. Sometimes we feel... We cannot begin to do what God has called us to do until we have all of our problems worked out. We, we, we can't evangelize because we don't know everything about theology enough to argue every case. We can't begin to serve the Lord because we don't have all of our own problems worked out yet. Sometimes we feel like we can't even come to Christ until we straighten our life out first. But this passage reminds us that it is in the midst of the trouble It's in the face of his foes. It's in the impossibility of the situation that God has seen fit to accomplish his work. So we dare to come to him, to trust him, to follow him, even before we have it all together, even when we are still desperate, even when we're hopelessly in over our head, even when everyone seems to be against us. How can we do that? Because we know that God accomplishes his work in the midst of trouble, in the midst of his enemies. And when he does, God gets the credit. That's what we read in verse 16. When the word of Nehemiah's success got out, the critics lost their confidence. They said, it it says literally, they fell in their own eyes. Their self-esteem withered. You see, they were not afraid of Nehemiah. They could take him on. They could humiliate him, they thought. But when they understood that God had worked in their midst, they were not so sure of themselves as they used to be. Folks, God does not promise to make us popular with the world around us. We may be considered fools until the day we die. Some of God's greatest servants live their lives considered foolish. What matters is that God's will is accomplished and that he gets the glory. The apostles were relentless in in, in their stand on this matter. John the Baptist said, said, he must increase and I must decrease. Paul reminded the church that he and Peter and Apollos were nothing. It's God who gave the increase, God who gets the glory. Indeed, the apostle Paul reminded the church at at Corinth that God has chosen, just to show you how far he will go, God has chosen to use the weak and the poor and the common and the desperate, the nobodies, that he might show himself glorious. God accomplishes his work through the most unlikely people in the midst of their worst enemies, but when he succeeds, he gets the glory. Years ago, I read uh, a story in Leadership a Journal, which I saved. I want to share it to you, with you as we close. When Lloyd C. Douglas, the author of The Robe and some other novels, was a university student, he lived in a boarding house. Downstairs on the first floor was an elderly, retired music teacher, now infirm, unable to leave his apartment. Douglas said that every morning they had a ritual that they would go through. He would come down the steps, open the old man's door and ask, well, what's the good news today? And The old music teacher would pick up his tuning fork and whap it on the side of his wheelchair and say, that is middle C. It was Middle C yesterday. It will be Middle C tomorrow. It will be Middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings off key. The piano across the hall needs tuning, but that is Middle C. The old man had discovered one thing on which he could depend. One constant reality in life. One still point in a turning world but folks i tell you there's something more constant on which we can depend and that is the god who made middle sea middle sea he says i am the lord i do not change the scripture says jesus christ is the same yesterday and today and forever no matter what anybody thinks No matter how impossible it seems, no matter whether anyone even remembers God's promises, God will do what He said He would do. He will always accomplish His plans. And to our amazement, He does so not by the removal of every obstacle, but God accomplishes His plans right in the middle of His enemies. So take heart, you who are discouraged. Be warned, you who are ignoring him, forsake everything and follow this Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are God, for we know we're not. That you're unchangeable, for we know we're so fickle. That you don't forget, though we quickly forget. Thank you, Lord, that you're full of mercy and grace in the midst of your justice. Oh, Father, may we learn to trust you, to obey you, to venture everything that we are or could be on you, knowing that uh, the future will be what you want it to be, not what anybody else thinks or desires or designs. We look foolish doing that, Lord. We find ourselves... Up against a lot of ridicule. We find ourselves amidst, in the midst of doubts and fears. Give us faith to trust you, Lord. And to not be weary in well-doing, but to persevere until the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll find your bulletin, there's an affirmation of faith there.